We have uh, been going through these, um, the book of John, the Gospel of John, looking at these seven signs that he records, uh, all pointing towards Christ uh, as the Messiah. And the first one that we, uh, we studied was number four, actually. We took it out of series because we used that on June 7th when we launched our uh, Saying Grace, uh, Feeding Children Everywhere. And we looked at the fourth sign, which was the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And really it's more than that, 5,000 men plus women and children. It could have been anywhere up to 20,000, 30,000 uh, who were served. And uh, we looked at how Jesus, when you give whatever you have, no matter how meager it looks, two small fish and, and five loaves of bread from the little boy, uh, Jesus can do a lot with whatever you give to him. And then we got back after a couple of weeks onto the pattern and started looking at them in order. And the first miracle was uh, changing the water into wine uh, at, at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And uh, we looked at the fact that that's a joyous time, a time to celebrate. And we were challenged to look at our joy level in our relationship with God and and are we filled with joy in that relationship? And does Christ need to do something else? Or we need to allow him to do something else in our life to fill us with joy. Then we looked at the second one, which was uh, the healing of the official son. And we were challenged, as he was, to allow Jesus to uh, develop our faith so that we have a faith for life. And that was one of the miracles where Jesus did, did not actually have to be present. He, um, he didn't have to go to the uh, official's home, put his hand on the boy and heal him. He just spoke the words. And the official went home. And on the way, uh, his servants met him and uh, said to him that the, your son is well. And it happened at the same hour that Jesus spoke those words. And so a faithful life is one that's ready to accept whatever God gives to us. And then two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' heal. Uh, the man, the paralytic, who had been lying beside the pool at Bethesda for 38 years. And Jesus asked him what seemed like on the surface a strange question. Do you want to get well? And yet we had to take a lot of facts into consideration to understand that story. And the application to our life is, uh, do we really want to open our lives to the changes that God wants to make in our life so that we are better followers after Jesus Christ? Well, so then if you throw in the fourth, which was what we looked at June 7th on the feeding of the 5,000, today we come to number five, the fifth sign in the Gospel of John uh, that points to Jesus as the Messiah. And we will be challenged, as the disciples were, to have a faith that overcomes our fear. And we find that story in John Gospel chapter 6, verse 16. When evening came... His disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, the miracle of Jesus walking on the water uh, has a lot to say to us. And it's been um, the subject of a lot of uh, uh, jokes and a lot of stories and a lot of um, explanations and maybe some um, uh, comparisons. I like the story I read about a pastor who had had this lifelong desire to make his pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He finally got a chance to do that. And the thing he wanted to do most of all was to go out onto the Sea of Galilee 
to the exact spot where Jesus walked on the water because that was just his favorite story, his favorite miracle. And so when he gets there, he gets to the Sea of Galilee, and he starts to talk to a guy that has a boat, asking if he would take him out. And so he could see that sight. The guy said, yeah, I think I know where that was. And so the pastor asked him, well, how much will it be? And the guy said, I don't charge you anything for that. I'll take you out there and let you see that. So the pastor was elated. Got in the boat. They go out there. And he just spends about 15 minutes just reading that scripture, thinking about that, praying, and having a great experience. And finally, he says to the guy, he says, okay, I, I thank you for bringing me out. I've had, I've, I've, I've had a lifelong dream fulfilled. And I'm ready to go back. And the guy says, well, that's great. And he said, that'll cost you $35. And the pastor said, but you told me it wouldn't cost me anything for you to take me out here. He said, that's right. I didn't charge you to bring you out here. But if you want to go back, it's $35. And the pastor said, well, no wonder Jesus got out and walked. <laughs> that line about walking on water applies to a lot of different circumstances, doesn't it? When somebody has an air kind of, of, of excellence about them that they think maybe a little more highly of themselves than they should, what do we say? Well, they're walking on water, okay? One of the most memorable lines in the rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar was when Herod Cynical line came up and said, Prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool. Uh, this week, Jesse Tucker, and he must be traveling because I haven't seen him today, sent me a, a text. Where he said, I saw this on the sign out front of a church. Uh, and ask a question, do you need a lifeguard? And then the answer that came under it was, mine walks on water. Well, ours does. Our lifeguard is Jesus, and he walks on water. And this episode of Jesus walking on the water certainly affirms his supernatural powers, and it's one of the signs and miracles that points to the fact he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. We got uh, some artist rendition of what might have looked like. I don't know where you can see maybe the boat in the background, but there's Jesus walking on the water. You see the waves are, are moving, and um, the boat is back there, and disciples are there. Uh, and it was a difficult time for the disciples. But we have to always look beyond just that miracle. And every one of these we've looked at, what does it show us about Jesus? We look beyond the miracle to see the Master or the Messiah. So what do we see today? Well, let's put the story in context. Right after the feeding of the 5,000, there was a movement to crown Jesus as king. And number one, it wasn't time for Jesus to be revealed as the Messiah. Number two, uh, he wasn't going to be the kind of king they wanted him to be. So he knew that he and the disciples need to get away for a while. They need to get away from the crowd. They need to get away. And, and maybe there was some special teaching that would follow that he would talk to them about and explain that about uh, when his time was to be the Messiah and to have that revealed. And so the scripture says, he put the, the disciples in the boat and he sent them across the lake. And he went up into the mountains to pray and have some time of solitude. Then when we get into this story in John's gospel, we find that um, a storm is raging. A storm comes up and the disciples had been rowing for several hours. And they normally could have gone across that portion of, of the lake right there at the top region in about two, two and a half hours. And they had been rowing longer than that, and they still hadn't gone very far at all, only about two, two and a half, three, three miles. It was a terrible storm. The, 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 the winds just came down from Mount Hermon and lashed the water into a fury, and they were terrified. And then, in the midst of that journey, when they figured that they probably were doomed, they encountered a storm like nothing else. And even though they had been around that sea and been on it all of their life, I'm sure they expected to drown. Uh, even though they had crossed that thing and, 
had been fishing in it for so many years, they, they were afraid. They were terrified. Not just that they saw Jesus. They were drenched to the skin. And I think that they were at the mercy of the elements, waiting for that final wave that would crash that would surely dash their boat to pieces. And that's when, in fear, they looked up, being terrified, and they saw Jesus walking on the water. They'd never seen him walk on the water. They'd never seen anyone walk on the water. Matthew's account of this story says that they thought he was a ghost because they'd never seen anybody do that before. Jesus comes up to them and he says, it is I, don't be afraid. And John tells us in his story that immediately they were willing to take him into the boat, which they did, and then the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Well, what started out as as could be a disastrous trip for these disciples really turned out to be a lesson in faith for them. They were fearful. They were afraid of the storm. They were afraid of dying. I think they were afraid of being abandoned by Jesus. Uh, And I think that maybe they were afraid when they saw this figure coming across the water because he walked several miles to get to them. And they probably saw him through the distance and the waves and the wind and all of that. And they wondered, what is this? Who is this? And, And they were terrified until Jesus said in his eye, do not be afraid. Now, what do we learn about this miracle? that helps us understand more about Jesus as our Messiah and enables us to have faith that will conquer all of our fears. Well, I'll make two broad generalizations about that or principles. First is that the reality of the storms of life. We all face uh, storms in our life and we deal with the reality of storms in our life. Sometimes it might be literally like this, caught in a boat out on a lake or in the ocean somewhere and a terrible storm comes up. But the reality is that we all have storms in life. Now, some storms happen uh, in in the life of everyone, and we experience different types of those storms. In fact, the reality is that every one of us right here today is in one of three places in relationship to a storm. You're either going into a storm, you're in the midst of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. That's just a reality of life. Storms happen in life to everyone. They come at different times. They come in different ways. Think about some of the storms you've had in your life. Maybe some of you are going through these today. The storms of illness. You know, whether it's sudden or prolonged, whether it's yours or or of a loved one. A storm of death. Several families in our church in the last week while we were gone uh, experienced death in their families. Some are gone from us today because of death in their families. The storm of being rejected, you know, whether it's through marriages that break up or friendships that break up or whether you feel like you're abandoned and you have no friends. You know, there's that, that storm of rejection when you feel all alone. There's that storm of unjust criticism. You know, people criticize you because they really don't know what's going on with you and why you have to make decisions that you make. And so you are, you're subject to unjust criticism and it hurts and it's a storm. And then there's a storm of emotional trauma where you might go through some experiences where you get in touch with feelings like hatred and anger and resentment and bitterness. That's a terrible storm to go through and especially when you hold on to it. Then the storm of physical loss, whether it's the loss of home or job or money or security, whatever it might be. There are those kinds of losses that that are storms in our life. And then 
the storm of accident, you know, that, that just suddenly, unexpectedly, something happens. It's an accident. And so the reality is that the storms of life come in many and various forms, and they come to all of us. Now, there's another observation to make about that, and that is that storms come even when we are in the center of God's will. See, we don't have to be disobedient, and we don't have to be outside of God's will for a storm to come into our life. Some of you who are going through some storms right now, it's not because you've been disobedient, but you, you could be in the very center of God's will in your life. See, following Jesus never exempts us from the difficult times and the storms of life. When we look at these disciples in the boat, uh, you know, we could say that, that we can never assume that following after Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, will mean that we always have smooth sailing in life, does it? In fact, you could be in the very center of God's will and experience a storm. That's where the disciples were. Jesus wanted them to get in that boat and get on the lake. In fact, in Matthew's account of this story, uh, the scripture says that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. And the word is compelled. In other words, he forced them to do that. He wanted them to do that. that. That's what he wanted them to do. And I think he did so because that storm was a divinely appointed storm to teach these disciples about God and his power in their lives. And that gets down to, I think, the very crux of our issue about faith today when we're talking about uh, faith to overcome our fears. It is because we have to have a faith that is tested if it's going to be strong enough to overcome our fears. If we didn't have adversity and storms in our life and times of difficulty and trouble, you know, what kind of faith would we have? I think it would be very self-centered. I think it would be one-dimensional. It might be proud. Um, it might be empty. Uh, it might not be much of a faith at all. But faith that can be tested, uh, faith to be trusted has to be tested. Uh, the writer James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, says it very clearly in James 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. They come in various forms. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, that's why the storms of life come to us as believers. And so that our faith can be enhanced and enriched. And we'll have a faith that overcomes fear. Franklin Delano Roosevelt's famous line from his inaugural speech in 1933 says, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, I'd take exception with that former president and say, no, he's wrong. Because life offers us uh, virtually an endless supply of things to fear. Sickness and war and, and loss of life or loss of loved ones, loss of job, cancer, all of those things. And like the disciples, we're in a sea of troubled water, and it's normal to be fearful in the storms. Our storms on the Sea of Galilee were nothing new. In fact, some of these disciples might have been called in them before on fishing trips. We've got a couple of pictures here that might show you something about how uh, the Sea of Galilee is located. You see, see the mountains there in the background, and it looks like a beautiful, placid scene. Here it is more in a, in a topical scene 
where the lake is uh, there in between these mountain ranges and get a picture of that. Uh, actually, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee is seven and a half miles long. It's seven, I mean, wide is 17 miles long. And at its deepest points, 157 feet. Now, uh, uh, the reason that storms would pop up so suddenly is because the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. And in some of these pictures, you can see how the winds could blow very suddenly. Cold winds blowing off of the mountain, coming down and sweeping across the Sea of Galilee, meeting with that force of warm air coming off of the body. And a storm could erupt almost in a moment's notice. And that's what happened with these disciples. And it has been recorded, I think in 1995 it was recorded, 10-foot waves crashing upon the shore and doing damage to the city of Tiberias, which is right there on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. So you can imagine being out there in a seven and a half foot wide fishing boat in, in storm, storm that was raging with waves perhaps 10 feet high. That storm was fierce. It was ferocious. And the disciples were afraid. But here comes Jesus walking to them on the water. Why did Jesus come walking to them on the water? You know, he had the power. He could have just stopped the storm. He did before once when they woke him up when he was asleep in the ship, remember? And they said, don't you care that we're perishing? You know, Jesus was so calm and at peace he was sleeping through the storm. Some of you can sleep through anything. Jesus was sleeping through the storm. The disciples couldn't sleep. They were scared to death. And he, he just spoke to it. And he calmed the sea. He could have done that. So why does he come walking on the sea to the disciples. Was it to show off? No, not at all. But he walked on the water to show them that he is the God of the impossible. See, they'd never seen anybody else walk on water because nobody else had ever done it. In Matthew's account, I think it is, is the one where Peter wants to get out of the boat and walk. And he says, Master, let me come to you. If it's you, let me come to you. And Jesus said, come, and Peter stepped out of the boat, and he took a few steps, but he didn't sink until what? He took his eyes off of Jesus. But besides Jesus and Peter, nobody else has walked on water. I mean, just literally walked on water. Now, I've had this book for a while by Mark Batterson. He's one of my favorite authors. He's pastor of, the, uh, uh, of a church in, uh, in, in D.C., a national community church, and a very exciting and thriving church, and he's a great writer. And I had a book entitled The Grave Robber by Mark Ballison that was on my read next list on my shelf in my office. And somehow other books came and take, took a precedent over them, over this one. And Thursday before last when I was leaving the office and we'd head out the next day to go on vacation, I just grabbed it off the shelf and said, well, I'll read this while we're down at the beach. That along with a few other westerns. And so when I started reading this one, The Grave Robber, I thought it was going to be just something about Jesus' power over death and conquering death and sin and that. But interesting to find out that this whole book is, is Mark Batterson's writing about the seven signs out of the Gospel of John. And I said, well, isn't that something? I've already preached through four of them, and now I'm picking up the book and starting to read it. So I've read it through this chapter with Jesus walking on the water. He calls him the water walker. Now, it's an interesting footnote. That Mark Batterson refers to a June 29, 2010 article at a website. I don't know whether it's LiveScience or LiveScience.com. I guess you could pronounce it either way. But it explains why humans can't walk on water. And I just took it right out of the book. 
says the density of water is one gram per cubic centimeter at four degrees Celsius. Well, I have no earthly idea what that means except the fact that human beings sink when you get in water, right? Okay. Now, that article went on to say that you could walk, any of us could walk on water if we could sprint or walk at 67 miles per hour. Somehow they got that figured out scientifically that that's the way, that's how fast you would have to go. That's pretty fast, isn't it, on foot to be doing that. In fact, the the fastest recorded foot speed is 27.79 miles per hour by the Jamaican Olympic gold medalist Usain Bolt. So all of this to say is nobody else had walked on water and nobody else could do it and nobody else can do it except Jesus. He came walking on water to show them that he was the God who could do the impossible. They'd already seen him take water and change it into wine. They saw him speak the words and the official son was healed from a distance. They saw him take two fish and five loaves of bread and create enough food to feed the 5,000 men plus all the women and children, maybe twenty to 30,000 people. And then what? There were 12 baskets left over. So this is the Jesus who not only established the laws of nature, but for him to walk on the water suspended the laws of nature that he himself had put in place. It was another affirmation of the fact that he is the Messiah. And if we're smart, we will take Jesus into the boat with us like the disciples did. Because that's the only way we're going to get through the storms of life whenever they come. This miracle worker, this water walker is Jesus Christ who wants you to bring him into your life so that you can develop a faith that overcomes fear. So the first thing we look at is that the reality of storms in everybody's life. And that's why you need Jesus in your life. Now this, the second observation I make, gets out a little bit deeper for us, okay? Here's where we find the reassurance of the presence of Jesus. Just as we pull it right out of that story. Okay, here are these disciples in the little boat out in a terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus comes walking on the water to them. And it tells us that we can be reassured of the presence of Jesus. And I want to make three observations under that thought. Jesus sees us in our adversity with his divine perception. So he, he, he saw the disciples in that boat. He knew where they were. He is the, he is the God who has eyes everywhere. He not only saw them in that boat, he knew the longitude and the latitude of that boat with those disciples in it. His eye was constantly on them. And it says to us that it's far more important that Jesus sees us than for us to see him. Because he's the Messiah, in all places, at all times, he knows all things and he sees all things. We can be confident of his presence in the midst of the storms of life. See, Jesus sees us in our adversity with his divine perception. Then secondly, Jesus leads us through the storms with his eternal presence. The disciples were in a storm. But they discovered the presence of Jesus who came to them. We've already affirmed the fact that we experience storms in life. Sometimes we experience storms when we are in the will of God. 
We've affirmed that. You can be in the center of God's will. These disciples were. But sometimes you can experience storms in your life because of your rebellion against God. Your sin, your foolishness, uh, you're just playing out rebellion against God and what He wants for your life and how He wants you to live. I want you to think first of all about how you can be in a storm when you're in, in the center of God's will and living for Him. Think about Daniel in the Old Testament and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Daniel refused to stop his prayer. He prayed as he had done three times a day. And what did they do with Daniel? They took him and threw him in the lion's den. What happened to him in the lion's den? God came and he closed the mouth of the lion. They opened it up the next morning expecting to see just the remnants of his clothes. And there was Joseph and there was the lion with his mouth closed. God was there with him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happened to them? Because they refused to worship golden idol. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. But Nebuchadnezzar was so concerned about it that he went and watched what was going on. And, and, and I think it's just absolutely amazing testimony. Nebuchadnezzar looks and says, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? He said, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. I think those, those fellows came out of there without even smelling like they'd been around a campfire because God was with them and they weren't consumed. Now, they were in the will of God, but they went through a terrible storm, but God was with them. Now, I like to use Jonah then as an example of getting caught in a storm when you rebel against God. That whole story of Jonah is still one of rebellion. I, even when he... Well, well, you know the story of Jonah. He, he, he's supposed to be going to a certain place to, to fulfill God's message, preach at Nineveh. He doesn't want to go. He gets a boat on a boat going in the opposite direction. A storm comes up. And the sailors on board question him and said, what have you done that your God is so angry with you? And so Jonah told them. And so they threw him overboard. And he was swallowed by that huge fish and spent three days in the belly of the fish until finally he prayed and repented. And God has a sense of humor. He got Jonah out by having the, that great big fish vomiting him out on the dry land. And then Jonah went and reluctantly, I think, preached. And none of them repented. But you see, Jonah ended up in a storm because he was disobedient to God. And sometimes we get into storms of life because we are disobedient to God. But the reality is that God is there with us in those storms, and He walks through them with us. He lives through them with us. He takes us through them, and that's why we need that faith that overcomes fear. It's just the presence of Jesus that we know in our life when we take Him into the boat that we can trust His guidance and His leadership that He will deliver us from every stormy situation in life. And then that leads to the third thing to observe. And I think that is that Jesus triumphs over adversity with his amazing power. You know, when I read this story, I believe that the disciples truly expected to drown. They might have been sitting there thinking, you know, we've been in terrible storms before and we always came through, but they never were this bad. I don't know whether we're going to make it or not. But here's something to remember. The water that was crashing over their heads was under the feet of Jesus. It was under his control. And Jesus came walking to them in the midst of their adversity with that raging water under his feet and he came to them in the storm of their life. And they had the faith in the midst of fear to welcome him into the boat and immediately the storm calmed. 
because Jesus was with them in the boat. Now what does it say to us today? I think as we wrap this up, I think we always need to be alert to the fact that we have the faith that we really need. It allows us to see Jesus walking through the storms of our life and bringing the power to deliver us out of those storms. See, the purpose of any storm is testing our faith, helping our faith to mature and develop and be the strong faith that it needs to be. And I think this lesson also, this, this incident teaches us another lesson. And that is that no matter what kind of storm we're facing, just like Jesus walked on the water to get to his disciples and to, to save them, to rescue them, God has that same power to come into your life with whatever storm might be raging so that he can calm the fears in your life. He can do whatever needs to be done in your life. I like the way A.W. Tozer said it. He says, anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. So you might be in the midst of a storm today. You might have just come out of a storm. If those two don't suit you or don't describe you or fit where you are today, then let me tell you, there's a storm out there and you're going to be going through it. You're going to be going into a storm. To go through that storm, you need a faith that overcomes all of your fears. And that's found only in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Yea, he walked on water to the disciples, not to show off, but to show that he is the God of the impossible. And he is still the God of the impossible that can bring about seemingly impossible answers to your prayer and an end to the storms of your life. If you're willing to have the faith to take him into your life, into your boat, as the disciples did. And I trust that you're willing to do that. If you're a believer today and following Christ, if you're in the midst of a storm, then you need to make sure that your eyes are on Jesus. And you're willing to have him come into your boat and rescue you. If you've never made that decision to trust Christ, then you really aren't prepared to go through any storm. You aren't prepared for life without Christ in your life. And I would urge you and encourage you to come to Jesus today by faith. Father, we thank you that through the Bible you revealed to us your loving nature and your care and concern for us. And we thank you in these recent weeks through the miracles of Jesus we've seen how he uses his supernatural power as God in the flesh to come to us and meet our needs and how when we're going through the storms of life like these disciples, he's willing to come to us and to get into that storm with us so that he can be our God and our Savior and our Lord and, and lead us out of that storm. And I pray, Father, today that we as your people will claim that faith, that there are others here who need to know Jesus as Savior, that they will come and commit their life to him so that they too can have that faith that overcomes fears. Father, I pray it in the name of Jesus as we call for decisions. Amen.